Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. One day a father and son went fishing. After a couple of hours out on the lake in a boat, the son suddenly became curious about the world around him. He asked his father, Dad, how does this boat float? The father thought for a moment and then replied, I really don't know, son. The son returned to his contemplation and then later turned back to his father, Dad, how do fish breathe underwater? Once again, the father replied, You know, I'm not sure, son. A little later, the son asked his father, Do fish have ears? Again, the father responded, I have no idea, son. Concerned that he was annoying his father, he said, Dad, do you mind me asking you all of these questions? And the father replied, Of course not, son. If you don't ask questions, you'll never learn anything. In this passage, we find 12 men who had something to learn. Will Rogers is purported to have said everyone is ignorant, just on different subjects. And Paul found 12 disciples in Ephesus who were ignorant about the subject of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, 1-7 read, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. In Acts 18.23, we read how Paul set out on his third apostolic journey. He departed from Antioch in Syria and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. From the area of Phrygia in verse 1 of chapter 19, we learn how Paul then traveled across Asia Minor to the coastal city of Ephesus. Now, Paul had stopped by Ephesus on his return from his second apostolic journey. And those at Ephesus wanted Paul to stay longer with them, but Paul did not agree to do so at that time. However, Paul promised that he would return. Acts 18.21 tells how Paul bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Sounding much like Douglas MacArthur, Paul said, I will return. And in verse 1 here, we see Paul keeping his word to the Ephesians as he returned to them. Paul's example in keeping his promise teaches us to do the same in life. And it is truly a characteristic of godliness because God is faithful to his word and he always keeps his promises. And so we should always keep our word. 
It's important to note the reference to Apollos in verse 1. In the previous chapter in Acts 18, 24-28, we learn about Apollos being in Ephesus before Paul. Much like the twelve men in the first seven verses of Acts 19, Acts 18.25 tells us that Apollos knew only the baptism of John. But then Aquila and Priscilla took him, or Apollos, unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And that's what you find Paul doing with the twelve men in Ephesus in Acts 19, expounding unto them the way of God more perfectly. In our lives and ministries, many today, like Apollos and these 12 men, only know John the Baptist's baptism and the gospel records. And they have come no further in their understanding of God's word and God's progressive revelation in his further revelation given to the Apostle Paul. They have advanced no further dispensationally. But We are tasked, like Aquila and Priscilla and the Apostle Paul, to bring people along, to expound unto them the way of God more perfectly, to teach and help people to grow in their understanding of what God's doing now, today, under grace, among the Gentiles. Coming to Ephesus, Paul found certain disciples, or learners, pupils. According to verse 2, they had believed, and they had been saved under John the Baptist's ministry. Paul asks these believing disciples a question. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? The word since is better understood by when. When ye believed. Have ye received the Holy Ghost upon believing? Because the receiving of the Holy Spirit for the believers at Pentecost, as well as for believers under grace, does not take place subsequent to salvation. It takes place at salvation. Paul asked them about receiving the Holy Spirit, and at Pentecost, when Israel repented of crucifying their Messiah and were water baptized, Acts 2.38 says they immediately received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Galatians 3.2 tells us that we, the body of Christ, receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith. The moment we trust Christ alone, that Christ alone, that He died for our sins and rose again. The response of these 12 disciples to Paul's question about receiving the Spirit when they believed was, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, this does not mean that they were unaware of the existence of the Holy Spirit. Rather, what this means is that they had not heard that the Holy Spirit had come or was being given to believers. John the Baptist had taught his followers that I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. These twelve were aware of the existence of the Holy Spirit from John's preaching, as well as from the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. Their response to Paul is that they were not aware of the Spirit's coming at Pentecost. They had not heard that the promise from John had been fulfilled. And that means that these 12 men, though the Feast of Pentecost required all Jewish men to be in Jerusalem, they were not there when the Spirit did come. According to Acts 2.9, there were Jewish men at Pentecost from Asia Minor, but for reasons not stated, these men were not present. 
Hearing that they did not know about the Spirit being given and had not received the Spirit, Paul's follow-up question was, Unto what then were you baptized? And to this they replied, Unto John's baptism. Our Lord told his apostles shortly before Pentecost, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Being baptized unto John's baptism means these men had been only baptized with water, but had not been baptized with the Spirit. Being baptized by John the Baptist meant that they were baptized before and years prior to the Spirit's coming at the day of Pentecost. Then Paul in verse 4 reminded these disciples what they knew when he said that John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. If a Jew wanted to get saved at the time of John, he had to repent or have a change of heart and mind. But further, in order to be saved at that time, they had to prove they had repented by submitting to being water baptized. Those who submitted to John's baptism were demonstrating a change of heart and mind and not trusting in themselves, or that being a child of Abraham would save them, but in turning unto God to save them and trusting John's message that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. They heard about the coming Messiah and King through John, and they heard of their need to be ready through repentance to receive their Messiah, and they believed it. And by submitting to John's baptism of repentance, Mark 1, 4 says very clearly that it was for the remission of sins. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Repentance. Water baptism, faith in the identity of the Messiah are what were required of them at that time to be saved from their sins. Then verse 5 is the response of the people in the past at the time of John the Baptist's ministry to his ministry in preaching. Verse 5 means this, when, that is, at the time of John the Baptist. They, that is the people from verse 4, which included these 12 disciples, heard this, that is John's message about repentance, baptism, and belief in the Messiah. They were baptized with water in the name of the Lord Jesus, in His name, because salvation was tied to their faith in the identity of Israel's Messiah. Though it is often taught that He did, Paul did not baptize these men. They were not rebaptized. Paul's action is in verse 6. Verse 5 is referring to what these men and others did at the time of John the Baptist. Paul quotes John in verse 4 and gives the reaction of John's hearers to John in verse 5. Put the quotation marks before John in verse 4 and after the Lord Jesus in verse 5, and when you join these two verses together, you see that there's no rebaptism here. The baptism they submitted to by John had been for the remission of their sins, and they were already disciples who had believed and had an earthly kingdom hope, and thus there was no need, there was no purpose for them to be rebaptized. 
There was no basic difference between John's baptism and that of Peter at Pentecost. Both were baptisms of repentance. Both were for the remission of sins. But there was a difference in the result because at Pentecost, those water baptized received the gift of the Holy Ghost in addition to the remission of their sins. Being baptized by John, what these 12 men lacked was the presence of the Holy Spirit to empower and enable them to live for their Messiah in light of their earthly hope. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. A Praying Life, True Spirituality and Prayer is a 50-page booklet written by Pastor Kevin J. Sadler. This booklet demonstrates from Scripture how God desires prayer to fill the Christian life. God hears and answers prayer, and He tells us in His Word to pray without ceasing and commune with Him continually, relating every experience in life to Him. There is no part of our lives that isn't prayer material. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Earlier in Acts 8, Peter and John laid their hands on those who believed in Samaria to impart the Holy Spirit. And during this transition time of Acts, it is shown by these two accounts that for different reasons, some kingdom believers needed the instrumentality of God's apostles to lay hands on them so that they would receive the Holy Spirit. In this case, here in Acts 19, believers who had been baptized prior to Pentecost, who were not present at Pentecost, needed an apostle to lay hands on them to receive the Spirit. And when Paul laid his hands on these twelve, demonstrating his apostolic authority, showing that he was in no way inferior to Peter, John, or the other ten apostles, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. As an apostle, the apostle of the Gentiles, Paul had the ability to help them receive the spirit that they had missed out on at Pentecost. And what you find during the transition period here is a believer in one dispensation helping believers of another dispensation. Like Aquila and Priscilla, members of the body of Christ, helped Apollos, a a prophetic kingdom saint, So Paul, a member of the body of Christ, helped these 12 prophetic kingdom saints. And this is natural, because whether one has an earthly hope or a heavenly hope, we are all part of the overall family of God. Their receiving of the Holy Spirit was clearly demonstrated in the fact that when Paul laid hands on them, they spake with tongues and prophesied. Consistent with the Spirit's working during the Acts period and before the completion of the Word of God, and the revelation given to Paul, these Jewish disciples were enabled by the Spirit to speak with tongues, 
or supernaturally speak in known languages of the world that they did not previously know. And they were given the ability to prophesy or, or to speak the very word of God. This is the last time the gift of tongues is mentioned in the book of Acts. Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians during this time period, during this two to three year stay at Ephesus. And a time was coming soon, back at that time, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Acts 19, verses 8 to 10 read, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. As his custom was that we often see in Acts, Paul went into the Jewish synagogue in Ephesus. This is consistent with Paul going to the Jew first during the time of Israel's diminishing and casting away in order to share Christ and reach unbelieving Jews with the gospel of grace. When Paul had previously stopped by Ephesus at the end of his second apostolic journey, Paul reasoned with the Jews of this synagogue. And Acts 18.20 tells us that they desired him to tarry longer time with them. Now returning to Ephesus, he spake boldly in this synagogue for three months. Speaking boldly meant that he held nothing back. Paul gave them the truth without fear of rejection. He cared about what they believed and sought to reach them with the truth. And like Paul, we show the love of Christ by caring about what others believe and telling them the truth of the word. And verse 8 shows that as Paul spoke boldly, he disputed and persuaded his hearers. We get our English word dialogue from the word translated as disputing here. Paul had much discourse and discussion as he lectured and also responded to their questions and challenges, and they discussed and talked back and forth. He also persuaded and convinced, and convinced some by argument. As Paul disputed and gave persuasive arguments, he did so concerning the things of the kingdom of God. The phrase kingdom of God is found 55 times in the Gospels, 7 times in Acts, and 8 times in Paul's letters. That phrase must be defined by the context in which it is found. Found in the Gospels, it's referring to the earthly kingdom, Christ's millennial reign. In Acts 1-3, we read about our Lord with his apostles after his resurrection, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. As our Lord taught his apostles about the kingdom of God, it was in relation to his reign on the earth and of the apostles and Israel's place of prominence in that kingdom. But from that point in Acts, however, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, Israel continued in her rejection of Jesus as their Messiah 
and it culminated in their stoning of Stephen in Acts 7. This resulted in Israel's fall and temporary setting aside and the suspension of the earthly establishment of the kingdom of God. Then Christ raised up Paul because God was turning to the nations in his plans and purposes. And Christ sent Paul to the Gentiles with a message of grace for the world, offering reconciliation to all through Christ's finished work. And to Paul, Christ revealed the heavenly inheritance of the body of Christ in the kingdom of God, which had been kept secret until it was made known to Paul. This is what Paul refers to as he later wrote these Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, 10 and 11 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We, the body of Christ, have been predestinated according to the purpose of God, to reign in Christ in His heavenly kingdom. We have an eternal inheritance in heaven. While believing Israel and the prophetic saints have been called to reign in Christ in His earthly kingdom, they have an eternal inheritance on earth. Thus, the kingdom of God, as used by Paul and in reference to his ministry, often refers to God's overall kingdom which includes his plans and purposes for Christ to reign over both heaven and earth. And this phrase then includes the saints of all ages. And as Paul spoke boldly about the kingdom of God, he was likely explaining why Israel's earthly kingdom had been postponed due to her temporary setting aside and of our place in God's heavenly kingdom. And like Paul we still dispute and persuade others concerning the kingdom of God. Here in the Ephesian synagogue, the Jews were more tolerant than they had been in some other towns that Paul had evangelized, and he was able to continue speaking there for three months. Three months in a synagogue without a riot was something of a record for Paul. It usually didn't take that long. But after three months, it separated those who believe from those who believe not. Those who did not believe gradually hardened their hearts to Paul's message. And out of their unbelief and hardened hearts against God, they spoke evil of that way. They spoke against those who were believers who followed that way, or the way of salvation, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when this began to happen, separation became necessary. Paul therefore separated the disciples who embraced his teaching and withdrew from the synagogue to a neutral site, the school or lecture hall of one Tyrannus. Tyrannus means our tyrant. And this may have been a nickname given to him by his students in this school. And there's been many a teacher who've been strict tyrants over time. In this school of a Gentile called Tyrannus, Paul had the freedom to teach these separated out disciples. And out of Paul's tireless zeal, he did so daily, speaking and teaching daily in this school over a space of two years meant many hundreds of hours of instruction. 
During this time, Paul did what he later taught Timothy to do. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This ministry in the school of Tyrannus had such an impact that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Paul's students took the gospel of grace and spread the word of the Lord throughout the province of Asia Minor and reached people for Christ and established local churches. Asia Minor was evangelized even without the use of internet, radio, or television. It was the result of the zeal of those who had been trained in the Word, who were motivated by the love of Christ and equipped for service by Paul, going out and traveling all over this large province, sharing Christ and the good news of God's grace. By this effective and powerful ministry, this is how churches were established in Colossae and Laodicea, cities of Asia Minor, though Paul had never been to those places. We see that in Colossians 2.1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Interestingly, during Paul's second apostolic journey, Acts 16.6 teaches how he had been forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. That seems puzzling as you read that because Asia Minor needed Christ and the gospel of grace. But now later, during Paul's third apostolic journey, Paul was used of God to evangelize that whole province through his two years of ministry and teaching in this school of Tyrannus. This reminds and teaches us that sometimes we have to wait on God's timing and on His will for things in life and ministry, and God blesses that when we wait on Him. Again, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians during this time in Ephesus, and his testimony of the ministry in the school of Tyrannus was, For a great door ineffectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. There are always adversaries when something great is being done for the Lord. Satan will always see to that, as we also see and learn later in this chapter with the riot that took place in Ephesus. Something great was being done for the Lord in the school of Tyrannus, and it sparked a revival in Asia Minor. By Paul's ministry in the synagogue of the Jews, you see hardened hearts, unbelief, and rejection of Christ by Israel. But by Paul's ministry in the school of the Gentile, Tyrannus, we find that God opened up a great and effectual door. These two locations, the synagogue and the school, give us a snapshot of what is taking place in the book of Acts. From Israel in her unbelief, to Paul separating and turning to the Gentiles, and God blessing and powerfully using His ministry to reach both individual Jews and Greeks throughout the entire province of Asia Minor. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.